Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Today, we're happy to welcome Marvin, partner at Diaspora VC and board member at Game Groove Capital, an international gaming holding company. He was previously a partner at VC Fund 500 Startups. Marvin has invested in over 414 pre-seed and seed stage startups, and we were lucky enough to record this episode with him during How To Web. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving it a review, and following us on LinkedIn. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are, and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Marvin, welcome to the European VC. We are here recording from How to Web in beautiful Bucharest. Let's start with that. Why are you here? Bucharest, Romania is an amazing ecosystem. Bogdan, who puts on this conference, is, has been an old friend. So I think this is my third time I've actually been at the con- like speaking at the conference. So I'm a big fan, like to support the ecosystem. And I've invested in at least two Romanian companies in my previous sort of VC fund. So I'm a big fan of the ecosystem in general. So third time here. So the other two times? Second time or third. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I go to so many conferences. So you were here pre-COVID, right? Yeah, yeah, Do you yeah. see differences? Yeah. Has the event changed? Is it exactly the same? I mean, this is way bigger. Yeah? This is way bigger. The engagement level. I think everyone's just excited to get back after two years of bullshit Zoom, right? <laughs> Fuck yes. Okay. So now let's get into the uh, typical, let's call it agenda of the European VC. And we'll start with a question. Tell us who the hell is Marvin? Who the hell is... Diaspora Ventures, and why did you come up with that name? Okay, yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm Marvin, I'm an old man in tech, <laughs> you know, in the startup ecosystem, the tech ecosystem for about 22 years. So I'm originally from Canada, uh, moved to the US to get rich and didn't quite work out, but I did the startup thing uh, for about two years. So I was very, very early at a startup that raised about $63 million. So I saw the company go from about 18 people to 150 people in six months, and then it went the other direction during the first dot-com bubble. Very, very lucky then to end up at Yahoo. So I spent 10 and a half years there as an executive, running a lot of global expansion across the world. I took two years off, did the angel investing, was terrible at it, but learned a whole bunch. I mentored at two dozen uh, like startup accelerators all across the world. So that's probably what I'm known. Uh, one of them happened to be 500 startups. So when they opened up the San Francisco office, they asked me to join. So I became a partner, helped run Fund 3 and Fund 4, ran the core accelerator program. and. In the six years there, I invested in over 414 pre-seed and seed stage startups. End of 2019, I left due to difference of opinions on, on our side, which is fine, they're great people, right? So I um, left end of 2019, trying to figure out like, okay, what do I do now? And then 2020, the pandemic came. I think first three quarters were kind of a write-off. And then afterwards, started doing angel investing, joined a bunch of boards, joined a bunch of investment committees. And then I joined Diaspora in 2000. 2021. And so Diaspora, who we are, we're rolling fund. So it's a rolling fund structure from AngelList. And we're based in the US. So me and my partner, Carlos, he started it in 2020. He was one of the first rolling funds. And so it's a new mechanism. So if you're not familiar with the rolling fund structure, it's basically SaaS for LPs. Yeah. So you you basically put a certain amount of money and you commit for like minimum one year, four quarters. And so we invest about $500,000 per quarter. Our thesis is very, very specific. We invest in European founders who 
are coming to the US market, right? You know, particularly we do a lot of like SaaS, developer tools, Web3 companies, and it's working so far pretty well. So we're at like 32 companies we've done. So we do about three to four companies per quarter. And Carlos is a full-time uh, Web3 uh, founder, and we do this on the side. And he's a fellow friend, a newbie to Silicon Valley. So he's been in Silicon Valley now about 10 years, had, had some very success, quite a lot of success before. And I actually was his mentor when they started Refiners because I knew the Accelerator business. So I spent a lot of time helping them with the Accelerator business and as an investor. And now we're working together because you get to work together with friends. Nothing better than that, right? Just like you two. Uh, we hate each other. Oh, well, <laughs> that can work too. That's a very different dynamic, but that can work too. I always want to outshine him and he tries to outshine me, but he fails. <laughs> That's why we bunk bets whenever we go places. Exactly, so. exactly. We, we could talk about that in a Whatever different time works. Whatever works, man. I don't judge, man. It seems to be working well. It's a hate-love relationship. <laughs> exactly. Let me ask a very similar question, but in a slightly different way, because I love to ask it this way. Yeah. What is your secret sauce? I think both Carlos and I have been operators. We both invest in a lot of companies. So I think between the two of us, we've done over 500 plus investments. So you gotta be a moron, like not to know how to invest, right? After you do that many, really like, like everyone's like, oh, you're, 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 look at you. And I'm like, no, I'm like Forrest Gump of Silicon Valley. I just kind of like ended up doing these things. So frankly speaking, a lot of like, there's a lot of young, smart investors. They just don't have my data sample set. Yeah. That's the difference, right? And also, I was also very, very lucky to be mentored by some like really, really good investors and to, yeah. to work with like really, really great investors, you know, like Edith Young from Race, you know, Shiel Manot from like Better Tomorrow, like all 500 colleagues of mine. So seeing, like you get to learn from each other. I was mentored by like really, really great guys. Like, you know, like Mike Maples, who was incredibly kind and generous with his time. And my good friend, Tim Chang, who, who you know, was at, I believe he's still at Mayfield. Unfortunately, the pandemic has kind of like cut off a lot of us in the last like three years. But these, these are all people that were like incredibly generous with like their time to sort of like when I was first starting off, it just like, you don't know what you're doing, right? There's no books you can read about like how to be a great VC. But it is helpful now having a lot of podcasts, right? You know, 20 minute VC and, yeah. and also just like having exposure to like really good investors like uh, Jason Lepkin, who's a friend. He's fantastic, incredible investor. His portfolio is like, or another guy, Kevin Harris. You know Kevin Harris from Eventbrite? Yeah. His portfolio, holy crap. We became friends, but I brought him in for the accelerator to sort of like do a talk. And I'm like going and looking at his Wikipedia. I'm like, oh my God, this is your angel? Like portfolio? Like that list is like, this is like the most like, it's like, wow. Like what I've, I've learned in Silicon Valley, which is yeah. like, doesn't matter how smart and how successful and how rich you think you are. There's like hundreds of thousands of people who are just so much better. So like, I don't understand the arrogance. Like, how can you be arrogant? Like, you have to have some level of humility because there's just so many really, really, like, amazing investors and really, really amazing operators that, like, I feel like crap over there, which is kind of good, right? It makes you sort of, like, be more hungry, right? We could talk about that point of the big egos that we see in venture, right? Oh, Let's just, not go there because yeah. we, we would... I mean, here, here's what I will, I will say, right? I've been in this game for a long time, like, in the tech game. And what I say for a lot of VCs where it's like, there are two types of VCs. There are those who are humble and those who will be humbled. Some of the best VCs and coolest VCs and you know that, that are doing the most incredible stuff and backing the most incredible founders that we meet are really nice and cool oh, people. So, I mean, and, I, and the funny thing is, 
they didn't become nice people after they had success. They were nice yeah, people, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, from yeah, the get-go. The, I mean, the, the, the money actually exacerbates who you are as an individual, right? Like I, I have a lot of very well-off friends and the money either makes, turns them into like really horrible human beings, which was inside them yeah. before, or turns them to sort of like really, really accentuates who you are. I mean, the, the humility <laughs> thing, right? Like, you know, when I first met Mike, he really listened. Like he's a guy who takes notes. And I'm like, wait, I should be taking notes, dude. Like, like I should be the other way around. I should be taking notes from like what you're saying. Just like, I'm like, wow, I'm a very accidental VC because my experience with VCs prior to 20, I'm gonna say 2011 was super negative. Most VCs in Silicon Valley were like not nice people. It only became nicer because you had a lot more operators and ex-entrepreneurs coming into the ecosystem. Also the competition. So you can't have that. Like there are still some VCs like, you know, Kosa guys, like they have a reputation of being assholes, but like he can because he's been a Kosa, right? Like, <laughs> like I just think like, yeah, but that tends no, to- but We have the same in Europe, right? To be very frank and I'm, Sure, some of them are listening to this episode now and will say, Andreas, I don't agree at all, and who are you to say that? But in Europe, the big brands are also carrying the reputation that, well, they're not always the nicest guys that they are hiring, right? And I would say, like, you know, my reputation, I don't know if I have a reputation nice guy. I have a reputation of being very direct. So a lot of my founders, like, I'd say 20% of my founders don't like me. I'm very direct, right? But the way I think about it, where I think in Silicon Valley is taken too far on the other side, where it's like, it's very Californian. It's like, oh, we love what you do. And there's like, there's literally no feedback. And you're like, well, I'm not sure what that means, that right? Like, yeah. like, it's like, is that yes, no? Like, you see, you, you have no idea. Versus I, I do sometimes prefer the New Yorker view where it's like, yeah. yeah, this sucks and this sucks and this sucks. You're like, at least I know where I stand. I do think there is a balance of sort of, you can be supportive, but you, can, you also have to be very direct. I'm very direct with my companies or very direct in general with most companies because it's like, your job is to be a service to them. And if I'm lying to you, I've, I've had many founders come back like who I even didn't invest and they came back and said like, hey, you were actually the only one who, who told me the truth. I said, I don't think this business model works. Here's why, I hope I'm wrong and I hope you prove me, prove me wrong, but this is why I'm not doing the deal. I do think I can work on being a little bit more diplomatic, but having said that, it's just like. But I think this is the perfect segue into um, something else that I wanted to talk to you about because last night at Venture and CE, we had a panel where you, said that you felt or you think that the US ecosystem is more cooperative than the European. And I thought, yes, absolutely. And then it was kind of like, there was a vibe in the room that said, yeah, you're pissed. not right. Yeah, they were pissed. Uh, but like I said, I think they took it the wrong way. So for me, where I'm like, it wasn't like, oh, this ecosystem sucks. That's not the case. I spend a lot of time out here. I see the, the growth and development. And so if I, I've invested. If you said that, we yeah. would kick the shit out of yeah. that. <laughs> I, and I've invested. I've invested in a lot of companies all across this region. So like I'm putting money where my mouth is. I think there's a difference of maturity of the ecosystems. And so it's very, you can still do a lot of win-lose deals here. The mentality is not of abundance, in my opinion. It's still like, these are my deals and I'm gonna win this over these other people. And yes, there's an element of that, but we, I think there's a, like, we talked about this, like look at the cap tables in the US where there's just, there's a lot more investors. I, like I'm in a deal, it's not public yet, but they have Sequoia, Founders Fund, OSS Fund. They have like Michael Dell's like, and also a whole bunch of like operator angels. Like yes. it's very sort of like inclusive because we're like, these are all the people that can actually bring value. Yeah. And, and they could, Sequoia could have taken all, hit that whole round. Yeah. They could have done it, no problem. They've got a huge fund, they could have done it. That's not the mentality. Well, I would say Sequoia does have pretty yeah, yeah. sharp elbows compared to a lot of the other yeah, folks. No, nah, but it's not the yeah, US, correct, it's not the correct. US mentality correct. because you are thinking of structuring the deal. And 
I think we'd say the same thing in, in Europe that we are, but it's just to another level, right? Because yeah, yeah, that's you right. are, you're at a point where, you know, if having 15, 20, <laughs> however many. Nah, but it's obvious, right? If we look at the ecosystem in the UK, if we look at specifically at the early stages, and if we look at, you know, the syndicate dynamics of small angels coming in and whatnot, what we see in London, we don't see in, I'm from Lisbon, right? I don't see in Lisbon. You don't see in Copenhagen. I'm sure we don't see it here in Bucharest, right? It's a maturity level. Yeah, right? it's a maturity level thing. And I also think it's just as you see more operators come in, also I, I do think as reputations rise and, and fall, like running VC funds are hard, right? Like that's like a slog. And so I think you're going to see a lot of people drop in. You see a lot of people come in. There's, we have those same dynamics just on a much bigger and wider sort of like larger schedule. So a lot more players, new players coming in that drives up the competitive level. And I also think founders have a lot more choices in the US where it's like, no, I'm gonna pick this and this one, this one. I want different people around the table to optimize. Like I want a, yeah. someone who's really, really good in B2B. I want someone who's really, really good at recruitment. And I think that's, as long as you can show value and very, very clear sort of like, I can help you with these specific things. Like it's in many cases, a lot of the best deals, you're fighting to get into deals where, please take my money. Here's the things I'm gonna do for you. I think it's a supply and demand issue here where there's still the money, sort of there's still not as much money and still lots of sort of like startups. So the leverage is still on the money side. And I don't think that's the case in the US where I think it's a little bit more balanced. And you also have a lot of super angels who can say, okay, screw these VCs. I'm literally gonna lead this round myself because you have a lot of like billionaire like investors. I'm just, I'm just lead this round myself. But you're starting to see a lot of founders and doing that as well too. So it's a very different dynamic. So I'm not saying, I do think it is, you're, we'll get there, and I, I'm a big fan. If I wasn't, I wouldn't be here. But I think they took it in the wrong way, but I don't think they have the cooperative dynamics yet, and there's still a little bit of the win-lose mentality. I think partly because a lot of people come from banking. And private equity, right? And private equity, especially private equity. You have to flip your entire mindset it, right? because they protect the downside. I'm like, I literally don't give a crap about this. I can only lose what I put in. Yeah. What I care about is actually the upside. Like all my winners, came from a very small subset, maybe 5% of my portfolio. The, the returns just outweigh, and that's the business. And I'm not totally sure they completely understand the business. So I don't think it's an, a question of understanding if-, if Maybe it's I a mindset thing. Maybe it's yeah, mindset. It's, and a structure and a behavior. What are we used to? Because when you say a big cap table, you think of a completely different number than when a European yeah. person thinks about a big cap table. And both of you say we want to have a lot of people with great competences around this round. So for that reason, we want a big cap table. There's just a big difference whether a big cap table means 30 people or 10 people or yeah, seven yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, but right. the devil lies in the details, right? Because what we always also see in Europe, and the US went through that yeah, long time 10 ago. years ago, 10 what years ago. What we see in Europe is now we're seeing a shift of messed up cap tables for founders at the early stages going and we're seeing a kind of conglomeration of those tickets through SPVs and syndicates and whatnot. And what we're seeing here almost feels like it's the exact opposite. But it act, the devil lies in, in the details, right? I'd love to hear you comment on that because it's not about having a big cap table. It's about what every single line of, in that cap table is bringing to the table. Yeah, exactly. So for me, of course, like if you actually talk to a lot of founders, the best value they got was actually not from the biggest check. A lot of times it's from like these operating angels or fellows sort of like, 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 you know. That didn't even invest direct, but were part of a syndicate yeah, yeah, led by syndicate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Syndicates are amazing because yeah. you can aggregate a whole bunch of like operators who are like, well, I can't write like the 50K check. I can write a five or 10, but you aggregate a bunch of these. Like, have you heard of the go-to-market fund? Like it's, it's run by a friend of mine and they're actually out of, based out of Miami right now. So this part of the sales hacker community, so long time B2B sales uh, community. 
and all their LPs are like, literally it's a fund now and all their LPs are all like chief revenue officers, head of sales of like pretty much the who's who of B2B in SaaS in the US. So you think about like, if he wants to get into any deal, you're like, I'm always gonna find some check size. If I'm a B2B sort of founder, I'm like, I'm always going to take like some, I don't care, 250, 500,000. I'm always gonna take a check from you because I literally can go and like call all these people who are your LPs who are experts who basically built these like massive B2B companies. No brainer, right? Like no brainer. So finding your differentiation is really important and your edge. Let me ask you something on this collaboration, cooperation topic. It's my perception, and I might be wrong, that's why I want to ask you specifically. It's my perception that in the US, there's also a more kind of open mind approach to even sharing LPs to some extent, which in Europe, I can say that that is not the case. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. So when my friend Shiel, he left 500 FinTech, uh, we all left around the same time. And when he left, he went to go raise Better Tomorrow with another you know, so X500 EIR, they're amazing fun, by the way, like they're crushing it. And he got like, I sent a bunch of LPs and I think one of them actually ended up converting like small LP, but like a lot of other VCs were like, hey, go talk to my LPs or whatever, because you're good. Because this idea just is win-win. We're like, we know Shiel and Jake are awesome. It makes us look good, right? And I know these people are gonna deliver and I know the LP is gonna be super happy. Like that LP, like he's so happy. He's like, I want you to be my advisor boy. He runs a family office. Like, I want you to, you got me into this like amazing deal, right? And I'm bragging to all my other rich friends about like, I'm in this, and now that makes me look good. So like- And they want that just as much as they want access to the direct co-investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They exactly, want, exactly. you know, it's the same thing for them, right? They want the allocation into, a hot asset that's good for them. So it's funny how in Europe we still have too many that are thinking of it as, okay, sheriff wallet, if I give them someone else, then I won't, they won't have 500K for me next time. You're like, nah, it's probably not how a billion dollar. I understand that thinking, but I, I also know why it's wrong because this idea, just like, if you make the LP happy, they're gonna find like, you're like, wow, these folks are awesome. You referred them to me. So you must be pretty awesome too, right? Because like like is hangs out with like. So, you know, I do think that actually really matters. So for example, if there is a fund manager in, so for example, I've sent folks to Bogdan. I'm just like, Bogdan's freaking amazing. I'm a huge fan of like what he's building. And if you let me, I might even be a small LP, right? Like I'll, I'll do an LP check where it's like, I have conviction. So I would only send LPs to like funds. And I do send, I send tons of LPs, like family offices and stuff to folks where it's like, they're awesome. And so win-win, the LP wins. You know, the fund manager wins. And if, if it happens, it makes me look super good. Like selfishly, yeah. where it's just like, but I also think a lot of people don't play the long game. So like, I'm planning on doing this for the rest of my life, right? So you want to sort of like put good stuff, like karma, right? I think yeah. this like karma points, like you want to be helpful to people. You want to do these things. I don't want to be transactional. Or like, oh, I'm gonna to talk to you because I only get something right away. Like that's a sad way of looking at life. Like we talked about like yesterday. Yeah, right? yeah. Since it's diaspora ventures, what diaspora? Is it all of Europe? Is it primarily Eastern Europe? All Europe, all Europe, man, all Europe. I think there's something about European founders. U.S. market's so different, and so where Carlos and I could be helpful, we've worked at tons of companies who've come over to the U.S. market. It's just different, 
right? We can make certain introductions, whether it's like customers or specific fundraising, thinking about rounds. Also, we can go to market strategy. It's so different because we've done this stuff before. And so being able to help specifically those type of things. But I also think there's an element of self-selection where you're going to leave. Europe is wonderful from a quality of life perspective. I love the US. Like, it's been really good to me. But I mean, they're business savages, right? And it's like the quality of life, it's a great place for business. From a quality of life perspective, it's not that great, but we self-select for business, right? Yeah. It's an amazing place for business. Yeah. And so you really have to raise your level. Yeah. And we try to find that in founders. So you self-select when you pick the US market and you can't do this from Zoom. You actually have to be over there. Do you live in the US? Or I live in San Francisco. I live yeah, in San Francisco. Do. You do. Yeah. Have you thought about moving to Europe? I'm out here probably 50% of the time of the year. Okay. So I'm out here a lot. So I'm doing the dumb digital nomad, right? Like you should be living in the nice and lower cost, lower tax place and then going to the expensive <laughs> place. And I'm like staying in the super expensive, highly taxed, dystopian place, but like going the other direction where I'm like, yeah, I'm like the opposite digital nomad and, and opposite of you arbitrage, right? Yeah, but it's part of your secret sauce to some extent, the fact that you are there, right? Yeah, it's helpful because it helps you, I think as an investor to recognize, I use this term all the time of like, understanding local maximum versus global maximum, why I have such a huge respect for this region, they're hungry, right? Particularly Romania, CE region, they're hungry. And I do think that self-selection of just like once they understand what the limits are, there are no limits. All the limits are actually set in their brain where it's like, ah, I can only really build a $20 million company. I think it's different when you see like, wow, look at all the people around me who are building like 100 or 500 million or billion dollar companies. You're like, the limits get removed. And I think a lot of times that's what they need to see. They understand local maximum when they actually should try to be measuring themselves against global maximum. And that's the same thing with the investor. We're like, okay, great. Like you're a big fish in a small pond. That's fine. You can still do well that way. But wouldn't you want to be sort of like competing against the best, right? And so that allows me to being in the US and being in San Francisco, like it really helps me understand sort of what the levels are and working with founders who want to push those limits, right? So I'm working with an amazing founder from Latvia now. And he's like, he wants to go big. He's just like, yeah, he's moving his family to the US and he's like, I'm going big. And I'm like, yes, I want to see that. Because he sees like, wow, look at all these people. And those people are all morons and they raise more money than I did. I'm going to kick their ass, right? And so, so it's good. Like it gets like, for some people, it's very demoralizing. For other people, it's like, it gets all my best founders. Like it really gets them like juiced up where I'm like, yeah. This is my game, right? Like I'm, I want to go win, and that's how they do it. And so all my best founders, like the guys from Aircall, they're from France. He moved, he moved his family to New York, and they're crushing it, right? They had 100 million revenue last year. Folks at Shippo crushing it, right? You know, Rapid a API, like the Israelis crushing it. I moved over to the U.S. I was in San Francisco. Like you see, I, a lot of these founders are like just they have to move to the U.S. because you, you want you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. We always end our episodes with a quick fire round. Quick fire round. We we ask you quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. You ready? I'm ready. First question, what areas, technologies, or sectors excite you the most that people around you don't really care that much about? You know, a lot of people beg on Web3. I'm still very, very optimistic on Web3, mainly infrastructure companies. Yeah. I'm very, very, still very, very excited by enterprise slash SaaS, yeah. developer tools, it's super unsexy. But you know the, the cloud penetration of this technology in most companies, it's still like 25%. Like there's just, it's a huge, huge market. And everyone's like, ah, it's boring. I would say those are probably the two yeah. biggest areas and I do a lot of deals in areas. I love the unsexy stuff. I love the stuff that other investors hate. We love that. Second question is most of our listeners are GPs and emerging GPs in Europe. Many of them are out there fundraising. 
And oh my takes, God, <laughs> so hard. <laughs> so, I, I mean, here's the biggest thing that you want to think about as a GP is just like, what do you bring to the table that makes you unique? And like, just, you know, what's the differentiating factor? That's super hard to figure out, right? Like, is it, do you have some unique deal flow? You know, do you have a track record? If you don't, then what's your thesis that's so different? Like, I don't want to see another future of work um, like BC, right? Like, there's like millions of them. Like, what the hell does that mean, right? Like, just, I think it's very, very specific. Are you focusing on a specific region? Are you focusing on a specific sort of like vertical? What do you bring to the table? Do you help with recruitment? Like, how are you going to help your companies? Like, I look at tons of VC decks and I'm like, I'm like, wow, this sounds like literally the thousand other decks that I've read. Like, there's just like, yeah. you could be... This literally is just the same same deck, just different people, right? Like it's almost like you take a best practice deck and then you just change the names yeah. and and a couple of numbers and then then you think that because I'm now complying with best practice, I will be able to raise. Would you ever invest in a startup because they said well, we're gonna do the same as Facebook? <laughs> like no, not how it works, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's what makes you different and unique, and that's really really important. I think a lot of Emerging fund managers don't think about that enough. They're like, oh, this investing thing looks like fun, and I'm just gonna do this, and this sector is hot and sexy, so I'm gonna do that. And I'm like, well, experienced LPs, we wanna understand as we're building out our own portfolio of fund managers, we wanna know how you fit in that overall portfolio. And if it's like some bland sort of like fun, you're like, yeah, why would I do that? That literally makes no sense. It doesn't build up my portfolio properly, right? Third and final question of the quick fire round, it's my favorite one, which is, What's the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you started Diaspora Ventures? I think there's two of them. Number one, you have to develop your own sort of like conviction for companies. All my best performing companies were very controversial. So for example, if you have consensus where everyone's like, oh, this is great, whether it's your career, whether it's a company or whatever, all my consensus decisions were terrible and ended up not being great. <laughs> all my non-consensus stuff, where that's really hard, right? Like you're standing against where it's like, wow, like I, when I was at 500, we started doing a lot of B2B deals in 2014. And that was not, they're like, what are you doing? Like consumers, like the way to go, right? Like this is a wave. It's and, so funny how things and, change. And it's changed now. Now <laughs> it's, it's like, so funny. now everything's like B2B. And then like everyone like, why would you do consumer? So which makes me think like, I probably need to be focusing a lot more energy <laughs> consumer on consumer now. now right? It's like fashion, right? Yeah. <laughs> it comes and goes. It, but it's so hard because you see like, oh, look at all these super smart people doing these deals. So like, what am I missing? And a lot of times you're probably not missing anything, right? Like you have to sort of come up with your own view. And so it's basically trying, it's really hard to do, but like do deals are like unpopular. It's like that old saying is like, you kind of have to be prepared to sort of be misunderstood for a long time and, and be willing to be seen as stupid. That's hard. It is. That's hard. Speaking of fashion, we have Ennis from 500. Emerging manager or emerging Europe, but knocking on the door saying, let's do our episode now. So we need to wrap this up. He's a good friend of yours. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Want to send some nice words on the way? Yeah. I, like I said, I think their thesis is like super, super smart, right? Like he's doing exactly what he should be doing, which is focusing on a region that is really underserved. And I also think this entire region is going to grow faster than I like. I'm going to spend the next like three, four years just like investing in this region myself, I think this is going to be the hottest region for the next couple of years. So I'm very bullish. I couldn't agree more. And we are doing three LP investments into the region for the same reason. So absolutely. Awesome having you with us, Marvin. Thank it's you for having great. me, man. This is fun. This is fun. It's fun every day. Yeah. Every single fucking day. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. 
If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Want to be on top of who the best up and coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know.